0: Have you ever noticed how we play with the truth? We, uh, we do that so much, so often, that when we're wanting to be believed, we have to go to extreme lengths before anybody will believe us. Uh, if there's not a vow of such associated with it, well, then if it's not true, then it's no fault. Uh, nobody will accuse us of a lie, well, they'll accuse us of a lie, but, uh, but there's not a problem uh, if we read something uh, in a newspaper or magazine or online or hear it online or whatever, we're watching something on the TV show, we question whether or not it's true. we Because so often it's not true. And so we, we question everything. And one of the ways that we, well, who is talking? Uh, is it a Democrat, or is it a Republican, or is it a believer, or a non-believer? Uh, is it a politician? Well, then it's got to be wrong. Uh, if it's an actor, uh, it uh, is an athlete. And we question whether or not it's true, depending on who's making the statement. Uh, we we ask ourselves, well, has everything been said? Has something been left out? Has, is there... Uh, Where's the truth? It's hard to know what the truth is today. You've got to work at knowing what the truth is. So in court, you know, that, that's a problem there. And so when you go to court, you have to swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Uh, there's a penalty for lying uh, or not saying, not being completely truthful. When you enter into a contract, you sign a statement saying that you filled everything out uh, uh, truthfully that you haven't left something out, that you've you've, uh, answered all the questions as well as you can. Truth has become so relative in our world today that, uh, well, truth's just been lost. We don't believe anybody, hardly, uh, unless we trust that person. Uh, Best way of knowing if... It is true, it's to know the history of the person. Jesus is truth. He always spoke the truth. Uh, But knowing the truth then was just as much of a problem as it is now. Sometimes we think that we're getting less and less honest. I don't know if we are. Because when you read the Scripture, it's pretty apparent that they had trouble knowing what was true then as well. Remember in the old King James translation, you might still use one, and and that's fine. But oftentimes when Jesus is speaking, it starts off with, Verily, verily, I say unto you. Uh, That comes from a Hebrew origin word uh, that you translate, depending on the context, as firm or trustworthy or surely or so be it or even amen. That is the word that we generally put at the end of our prayer. And Jesus was saying, when he used the expression in his sermons, and he begins with verily, verily, or amen, amen, is this is the truth. You can believe what I'm about to say. It's the truth. So, like in John 3, verse 3, when he's talking to Nicodemus, uh, the old King James says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The ESV says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But this is true. Uh, So when, when when we put that word at the end of our prayer, we are affirming our faith that God fulfills prayers and our supplications, and that our request is truthful. And so if we have something in our prayer that's not truthful, don't add amen at the end of it, by the way. (laughs) If you don't believe that God is firm and true, uh, well, that's what you're saying when you say amen at the end. It's interesting when Jesus spoke this in the Sermon on the Mount about swearing, uh, that he did that immediately after he spoke concerning divorce. Uh, marriage is a solemn vow of faithfulness for a man and a woman before God to be true and loving and faithful to each other for the rest of their lives. Reality tells us, however, that even though people make those vows, they don't keep them. Because in our world today, sometimes the estimates are 50% or more break those vows and are not truthful to their spouse. Well, that's the amount that end in divorce. How many break the vows and are unfaithful, but yet stay, to stay married it might even be much, much higher than that. So the next thing Jesus talks about after talking to his audience that day about marriage and being faithful and not ending their marriage. He talks about being true to your word, being true to the vow that you make, fulfilling the promises that you make. In fact, he says, to be true to your word, to be so true to your word, that those around you don't need you to swear because they know you. And they know that you're going to be faithful to your word, honest at all times. That's not the world we live in. There there was this trial in a small town. And the jury had been uh, selected and they were in their seats and the t- trial was beginning. And so the... The prosecuting attorney calls his first witness. It's a nice, well-dressed, grandmotherly-type lady, and she sits on the stand. She's been sworn in to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth with her hand on the Bible. Uh, and so the prosecuting attorney comes up to her and says, Now, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And Mrs. Jones says, Why, yes, Mr. Williams, I know you. I've known you since you were a young boy. In fact, since I'm sworn to tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth, I want to tell you I'm really disappointed in you. You, uh, you lie, you cheat, uh, you manipulate people, uh, you talk about people behind their back, uh, I'm, uh, and you're not really as important as you think you are. Uh, yeah, I know you very well. Stunned, not knowing really, what do I do now? Yeah, I said, well, do you know the defense attorney? <laughs> uh, uh, yes, I've known Mr. Bradley also all of his life. Uh, I've known him, uh, well... And since I'm here to tell the truth and old truth and nothing about the truth, I know he's a lazy bum, he's bigoted, and he has a drinking problem, and he's had three affairs. <laughs> now, Mr. Brantley just, you know, sheepishly uh, sinks down in his seat, and the judge then calls the both attorneys up to his desk, and he says, if either one of you ask her if she knows who I am, you're... <laughs> We've got to tell the truth and the whole truth, but sometimes we need to be gentle as we speak. Swearing is not condemned in the law of Moses. You read through several different passages there. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7 says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You can take the name of the Lord God in a number of ways, just using his name, are using his name to validate what you say. What this command is saying is never speak of God in a casual or thoughtless way. Always be reverent when you use God's name. Remember back in verse 17... Jesus had said that he came to fulfill the law, not abolish or break the law. He came to keep the law. Part of that compliance to the law is understanding God's initial intelligence, or intention, God wants us to give reverence to his name. Another verse, Leviticus chapter 19 verse 12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. One can swear calling on the name of the Lord to uh, witness the truthfulness of whatever you're saying. That's part of swearing. You're calling on God, bear witness that this is true. And it better be true. Because if it's not, we have disrespected God. We've called on Him to verify a lie. And so there's a double sin there. Numbers 30 verse 2 says, If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. God expects us to fulfill our word. And when we speak with a vow or swear, we have obligated ourselves. We have given ourselves a debt. And if we don't pay that debt, we are guilty of fraud. A vow creates a debt that must be paid. Or another passage, Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 21 through 23. If you make a vow to the Lord, your God... You shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to be to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So, vowing gives us an, an additional obligation. We've got to keep our word because otherwise we're a liar. But secondly, if we don't keep our word, then we've profaned God. We have profaned the name of our God. We've taken his name in vain. One more. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 verse 4 through 7. When you make a vow to God, do not delay paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. You know, pride can get us into a lot of trouble because sometimes we want to strengthen our word. With pride, pride makes us want to strengthen our word, and so we start making all of these grandiose statements. Here, the wise man says, "You don't need to do that. Don't let pride put you in a position of bearing false witness. Don't let pride put you in a position where you've sworn to something you can't fulfill." Ego sometimes leads us into a promise and we can't fulfill those promises and we know before we even make it that we can't fulfill. Yet pride, ego gets in our way. Don't say, don't commit to something you can't fulfill because a vow obligates us. It creates a debt that we have to pay. Don't make a vow you can't fulfill. There are several types of swearing. Uh, One, we would anticipate the, the first swearing by an oath. It is not a violation of God's laws, but it does place an extremely high responsibility on us to keep our vow or that what we've sworn is correct. Remember, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law, not break it. He himself spoke under a vow when he was under trial, Matthew chapter twenty-six, verse sixty-three. Peter spoke, or rather, Paul spoke under a vow uh, to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter one. Paul, in fact, uh, was under a vow uh, in Jerusalem, there at the temple, uh, speaking falsely when we have sworn to tell the truth means that we've not only lied, but we've profaned God's name. Double sin. So when Jesus says not to swear at all, he's talking in the context of the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. You see, they had developed this idea that, well, uh, the law condemns speaking falsely by swearing by the name of God, so we'll swear by Jerusalem, or we'll swear by the temple, or we'll swear by something else, And then if we break the vow, yeah, no fault, not a problem. Our righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. So we shouldn't really need to swear at all. Our character should be strong enough and our history with our friends and those who know us strong enough that we don't need to swear because we don't lie. And we fulfill the promises that we make. And that if we've said something, that's the truth. We will fulfill what we have stated. And that may mean also that sometimes we be, a, maybe we should be a little careful, uh, more careful in what we commit to. What we agree to. Because if we've said we're going to do it, then we have to do it. In a world filled with unbelievers, where everyone is always questioning everything that anybody else says, there may be some time when we have to speak under oath. But for those who know us, that should never have to be uh, in our language. They should not. If I've said something, it's the truth. If I've committed to something, I'm going to fulfill We are people of our word. A second type of swearing is that habitual and frivolous swearing. There's never a time when this isn't sin. There's never a time when this is appropriate. That's that speech that's filled with cursing and bitterness. Romans chapter 3 A few verses out of that chapter, verse 10. As it is written, none are righteous, no, not one. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. You know some people, I'm sure, that call on God to witness and condemn everything and anything. They can't open their mouth without several... uh, Appeals to God to condemn the weather, or to condemn uh, a ball team, or to condemn their neighbor, or to condemn just anything. They call on God to witness the truthfulness of almost any and everything they say. From how much they enjoyed the football game, or how much they disliked the opposing team, or how much they liked their mother's apple pie. Frivolous cursing is never right. It's always profane in God's sight. That should not be in our lips. But we live in a society where it's extremely common and it becomes very pervasive and it, it's pulled into our lives. Frivolous use of the name of God, frivolous cursing is never right it's always wrong. A third is hypocritical swearing. We bless God with one, uh, in, in a statement here, and then before we've taken another breath, we've cursed someone by the name of God. That's never right. We are all made in the image of God. Even if we don't like the person, even if they're doing terrible things, they're still made in the image of God. James chapter 3, verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. We can't bless God with one breath and then call down God's curses on someone in the next breath. Those things cannot be from the child of God. Then there's the silent cursing. And that might be a lot of our mouths. No, not our mouths because it's silent. That might be in a lot of our hearts. You see, we, do, we know that it's wrong and so we don't say the words. But we think them. And one of the main points that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount is the thoughts of our heart are just as important as the words of our mouth. And so if we've thought it, we might as well have said it. Because the sin is the same. Now God doesn't want us to say it, and He doesn't but He also doesn't want us to think it. And I'm afraid that might get a lot of us, however, because we've been taught enough, we've we have enough of Christ in us. We we don't want to say the word. But if we're still thinking it, then, then we're still swearing it. And then there's the evasive swearing. Uh, this probably gets a lot of us too. It's the Christian swearing. Uh, we use substitute words you know they kind of sound like it and so everybody knows what you're intending to say but it's not the word and so uh it's the doll darn it instead of god damn it and we think somehow since we've said it in a different way that we're not guilty Hey, I've got some beachfront property in, in Arizona. <laughs> if you believe that. <laughs> our heart said the real word. So our lips might as well have. No, neither should have. Don't have that evasive swearing as well. What has Jesus taught us to do? Well, a disciple of Jesus should not need to swear. It doesn't need to be in our, on our lips. Our righteousness should exceed that of the Pharisees. In other words, those who know us say, Well, you know, if Gerald has spoken, then that's going to be the truth. Because Gerald's not going to deceive me. Gerald's not going to lie to me. Gerald's not going to say what is wrong. So I don't, shouldn't have to swear. Because my word should be good enough. Our integrity should be unquestioned in the communities where we live and the people who know us. The Pharisees had figured out ways to swear falsely. They had allowed themselves to swear and break their commitments because they thought, well, you know, that's not important. It's only important if I swear by the name of God. And Jesus says, no, your word needs to be firm and true. And so he looked at him and said, if you said yes, it needs to be yes, regardless of whether you've sworn or not. If you say no, it needs to be no, regardless of whether you've sworn or not, because Christians need to be known by their word. So just don't swear. You should never need to swear. And it doesn't really matter how much we swear or by what we swear. You will be believed based on your history and of truthfulness, not by what you swear. James, the brother of Jesus, reaffirms this. James chapter 5, verse two, 12. But above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any, uh, uh, any, under, uh, any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Don't swear, because if you've sworn falsely, now you're condemned. Don't call either heaven or earth to certify your statements. Don't step into double indemnity by having lied and also by calling on God to certify your lie. Be truthful, be as truthful as you can be. And when asked to affirm, is that the truth? Yes, it is. Don't call on God to affirm. Just say, yes, it is. It doesn't matter how much you swear or by what you swear, you will be believed based on your history of truthfulness, not by your oath or by what you've sworn by. Disciples of Jesus want to be or need to be are supposed to be like Jesus. As Jesus was truth incarnate, we need to be truth. We need to live in such a way that people look at us and they say, "That's a true person." That person speaks truth. Scripture even says that we'll be set free by our tr- by truth. John eight verse thirty six or thirty two. The truth will set you free. When we're true, we don't have to swear. We don't have to affirm. We don't have to remember the lie. (laughs) Because the truth stands by itself. We don't have to worry about keeping up with our story. When we are always truthful, we will not have to defend our integrity. Our word will stand as a witness to our integrity. So be truthful. Be always truthful. And if you are, then you will not face condemnation for the lie. I know that sometimes we live outside of the truth. That shouldn't be, but it is. Sometimes we've sworn falsely. That shouldn't be, shouldn't have been, but I know it happens. I know sometimes we've used the name of the Lord in vain. We've profaned His name. It shouldn't have been, but it has been. And sometimes we've compromised our integrity as a child of God by saying what isn't true, and we knew it wasn't true. We said it anyhow. Maybe for financial gain, or maybe to avoid some type of problem, or maybe, maybe we just we thought somehow it would alleviate a problem. We must be truthful. Our righteousness must succeed that of the Pharisees. Of anybody, our righteousness must be secure in Christ. We must be people of integrity, persons of our word. We want to, all, we want to be called back to the truth of God. We want to call ourselves back to be free from that sin that condemns Free from the sin that would condemn us for violating the will of God. If there are those here today that want prayer to be brought back into truthfulness, we want to pray with you. Have you confessed Jesus as your Lord? Have you made that true statement, professing your faith in Christ? we are called to confess our faith in Jesus as Christ, confess the belief that we have that Jesus is the Christ, God's son, and that he was raised from the dead. And we are called also to be buried with him in baptism for the remission of our sins, called to to make a public profession of faith that we believe that Jesus is the Christ. If you've not done that, then yet you remain away from Christ. Let me urge urge you this morning, if you've yet to become a true disciple, that is, by making a public statement, yes, and by being buried with him in baptism for the remission of your sins, you're still living with Satan in sin. Come to the Lord, be part of Christ. Have his loving grace wash over you in baptism for the forgiveness of sin. If we can help you in any way this morning, we encourage your response while we praise God in song.